Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Hey church, I'm back! Great to be with you! Well, turn to the person next to you and say, he looks good! I think I left my glasses in my right-hand pocket. Thanks. Oh, take a seat. Yeah. It's so good to be with you. Uh, it's cold here. Got to tell you. 21 degrees in London. 28 degrees in Italy. It's even nicer there. Just came back from Torino. Um, actually, I've been in a number of places. Last week, I was in Slovakia. Thank you so much. Last week I was in Slovakia, um, where on Friday night I was with 70 senior pastors doing a, a leaders meeting, and then on the Saturday, 400 leaders. And uh, Slovakia is an amazing place. You know, we're going to be planting, we're using a Slovakian couple to plant Equipus Budapest. And uh, it's going to be amazing. That's, that's literally, well, they're, they're, between now and Christmas, they're going to be just doing recce's uh, and, and finding a place to meet and stuff like that. And then in the new year, they're going to start a midweek meeting and then eventually we'll have Sunday meetings. But just to give you a little sort of understanding of Europe and particularly former Eastern Europe, some of these communist countries, Miro Toth and his wife, uh, Marta, um, years ago, they were, um, their parents were leaders in churches. And around about 25 years ago, 30 years ago, there were only five churches in Slovakia that were evangelical, charismatic churches. Everything else was Catholic or else nothing. And it was illegal to meet. So these five churches, it was illegal for them to meet. Can you imagine that? Around about 100 people in each church. So 500 believers in a country with 5 million people. And uh, Nero's father led one of the churches and Marta's father led one of the other churches. So these are second generation believers and now they have kids who are third generation and, uh, and just some amazing stuff is happening in Slovakia and Budapest, all around those countries, since the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989. I remember going in 1990 to, East, uh, to Berlin and to what was formerly DDR, East Germany. I, I remember the feeling of the place. I remember the expectation of many believers who just could not be open about their faith. And just what God has done since 1989, just the way, the hunger the, the number of, um, yeah, just the number of things that's happening. It's just really exciting. In fact, when I did this leaders' conference on the last night, they said to me, you know, we actually invited some people from the community to come along to check this out. So I thought, okay, well, if you did that, I'm definitely giving an altar call. So uh, on that last night, can you imagine this at a leaders' conference? I gave an altar call and about six people got saved and just came in with their friends. Well, yeah, we can give God a clap for that. It's just brilliant, isn't it? And then the week before, Jackie and I had the privilege of being in the Philippines when they were celebrating their fourth year, Equippers Manila. Four years, 1,200 people gathered, 150 people got saved. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, that's like another congregation. It's just insane. And so just the great stuff that, that is happening uh, it's just absolutely incredible. And then the week before that, I was in Italy. I'm doing a lot of traveling these, the, these weeks, I can tell you. The week before that, I was in Italy, in Torino. 
and uh, my friend um, Luca, Luca Salamona, who's, who's on the way to becoming an Equippers Church himself, there's a whole group of people from Torino who kept watching him online and said, we like you, we like what you preach, uh, we, we, we just want to, can we keep doing that? And so this group of people an hour and a half away from where he is were meeting and gathering and watching online, then they said, would you come over and, you know, a bit like the Macedonian call, come over and help us and preach and He's been doing that every other week, just going to Torino and letting someone else preach in his church. And so by the time I got there, um, I was doing his church in the morning. Then the evening, we, we drove an hour and a half to Torino. 70 believers came out. 70 people came out. Again, six people got saved at that meeting, which is just fantastic, isn't it? So I, I'm just sharing this stuff for you to know that God is doing stuff all over the place. Uh, God is moving and he's doing things that are exciting. And you and I are part of that. We're part of his kingdom. Uh, we're his people. And stuff is happening here too. So I'm excited. Uh, you're all looking so good. Phoebe looks absolutely amazing. Can't believe how amazing you look. I was watching you earlier. It's like fantastic. Great leading the meeting here. Um, so there's just many, many exciting things. And, uh, you know, in London, things are going well. We have another location starting up in Essex, which is where I used to pastor many, many years ago. Like 35 years ago, I was pastoring a church. One of my youth leaders, who was 17 at the time, um, now he's leading a church there. He wants to be part of Equippers, and so they're connecting in with us. And just great things, great things are happening. Isn't God good? Yeah. Turn to somebody next to you and say, it's exciting. Come on. Okay, I've got a message for you this morning. If you turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, I want to talk to you this morning about the importance of adding to your faith. Adding to your faith. Um, let me read to you a text, and uh, let me unpack this a little bit for you. But for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound. Everyone say abound. Let me give you a definition of abound, by the way. The word abound in the Greek, it literally means this, to overflow, to exceed, to be in excess, or to have in abundance. So in other words, when God wants you to add something to your faith, it's not just, well, add a little. You know, it's not like, like in coffee when you say just a little sugar or just a little milk. Whatever you add to your faith, God wants you to have in abundance. It has to be excessive. It has, there has to be an overflow. That's, that's God's intention here. Now, if these things are yours and abound, you will, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you know from John 15 that the goal of the Christian life is to be fruitful? That's it in John 15. The only reason that the, the vine dresser will prune the vine is to produce more fruit. How many of you know pruning is never a great process? You know? Nobody enjoys pruning. I promise you. Uh, nobody enjoys having things cut back in their life. But sometimes there's a cutback in order to move forward. It seems contradictory. In fact, vine dressers will tell you the only way to keep a vine healthy is to prune it regularly. If you don't prune it, it actually can become unhealthy. Actually, more energy goes into producing branches than into producing fruit. 
So you, the, the trick is this, you always cut back to the point of growth, which is not a bad strategy for church growth, actually, not a bad strategy for organizations. Always cut back your organization to the point of growth. Get rid of dead wood. Get rid of that which is, is just uh, taking up too much time and too much energy, but not producing anything that sustains or is long-lasting. Now, it says here, if you do these things, you'll neither be barren nor unfruitful. Now, look at the the flip side of this. He who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from from his old sins. So this is incredible. So if you're not adding to your faith on a regular basis, what will happen is in process of time, you become a short-sighted Christian. (laughs) Peter says, even to the point of blindness. Now you'll notice I'm wearing glasses. I'm at that age. Last month, I became a grandfather. Oh, yes. Finally, finally, I'm at that point, stage in life. It's such a great stage. If I had known how good it was, I'd have been a grandfather the first time around. (laughs) It's brilliant. I get to play with my grandson for an hour and give him back. It's fantastic. I still sleep well. It's awesome. Uh, But I'm at that age of life where um, my eyes, I just need glasses. You know, it's like you're getting old. Well, here's the thing. If you're not adding to your faith, you grow old prematurely. You, You lose, now Peter says it here, the first thing you begin to lose is vision. You lose clarity. You lose a sense of perspective about where you're going and what you're called to. And so, in the challenge of faith, it's like this. There's a tension in the Christian life between being and becoming. Being is where I am right now, and we need to be. We need to be present. We need to be people who engage and understand this is where I am at this moment of time in my life. I'm dealing with this, or I'm struggling with this, or I'm trying to add this to my faith. This is where I am because this is not where I want to stay. I'm also in the process of becoming something. And and the call of God is all about what he's called you to become. That's who you are right now, but Jesus said, follow me and I will make you. The intention is that you become something you've been destined to be, but you can only be who you've been destined to be by starting where you are and going on a journey. And the journey means I've got to take steps and add to my faith. It's not enough for me just to have faith. I've got to be adding to faith. If I'm not adding to my faith, then I won't become the very thing I've been called to be. Got that? So sometimes people get stuck here. They get stuck in the being. They get stuck in disappointment or they they get stuck in a hurt. They get stuck in a place where instead of continuing to become, actually they stop adding to their faith. It's like some discouragement comes in, some stumbling block comes in, and now they stop adding. And as time goes on now, because they're not adding, they're not becoming. And what happens is you lose vision. You lose perspective. You become short-sighted. Peter says if you keep going in that direction, it's even to the point of blindness And he says this, 
He has forgotten he was cleansed from his old sins. He's forgotten. You know what that means? It means you go back to old patterns of behavior and thinking that God delivered you from. You go back to those old patterns. And so here's the thing. My, my first point is, is, is this. The reason you need to add to your faith is that you don't get stuck in a place where God doesn't want you to stay. Listen, none of us want to be like the children of Israel. 40 years in the wilderness. <laughs> we just celebrated this year in the Philippines. They were very kind to us. We celebrated 39 years of marriage this year. That's good, isn't it? That's quite an achievement. My wife was asked several times, she said, have you ever thought of divorcing Peter? And she said, never. Murder several times, but divorce never. <laughs> oh, she's already got that. <laughs> I said to my wife this year, I said, well, next year it's 40 years, we're going to enter the promised land. <laughs> I was just kidding. We really, we're already there. Seated together in heavenly places. Um, here's, my, here's my point, friends. God doesn't want you to get stuck like the children of Israel. The destiny is to enter something that he's purposed and ordained right from the beginning. The wilderness journey was meant to be an 11-day journey, and it turned out to be 40 years. Hey, listen, sometimes you're in a place where you're in a place of disappointment or pain or discouragement, but listen, it's not meant to last year after year after year. You know, it's okay. David said to, to God in Psalm 13, how long, O oh Lord? You ever ask that one? How long, O oh Lord? How long will my enemies triumph over me? How long before you hear me? How long before you answer my prayer? And then you get to the end of Psalm 113, uh, of, of Psalm 13, and he says, but I'm going to praise you with my heart. I'm going to trust in your salvation. I'm going to trust in your deliverance. David acknowledges where he is, but then he says, you know what? I'm not going to dwell and live in that place. I'm going to add worship to my situation of disappointment, and in my worship, I'm going to connect with who God is. You see, there's this wonderful list here. People often ask me, well, what should I add to my faith? And they look at this list, you know, like, like this is the, the key to do it. You've got to add self-control, or you've got to add virtue, or perseverance. And listen, it doesn't matter. The goal is that you've got to end up loving. The goal is you've got to end up loving. The key is to understand what it is you need to add. You know this word virtue, it's a very beautiful word. It literally means any excellence of a person or a thing. Any excellence. It's a moral quality like courage or honesty or loyalty or respect or compassion. The emphasis is that it is some form of excellence that you add. That's where you begin. So if you're asking me, well, what should I add to my, to my faith? Here's my question to you. Well, what do you struggle with? Because what you struggle with is what you've got to add. Are you angry? Well, add patience. Are you impatient? Well, add perseverance. Are you disappointed? Add hope. If you're not sure what to add, ask your spouse. How many of you know spouses are ruthlessly honest? Aren't they? 
ruthlessly. And wait till you have adult children. They're even worse. Ask your best friend. Ask the people who spend the most time with you, what do you think I need to add to my faith? And don't get offended when they speak the truth to you. They're trying to help you. You know, sometimes people come up to me and they've got honest questions like, well, what do you think I need to add? And then you tell them and then they get offended. It's like, well, what did you ask me for in the first place? If you're going to, well, I didn't expect you to say that. Oh, there, there, there. I believe that, uh, that whatever it is, what, whatever it is you struggle with, you, you can either stay in your pain and in your struggle and lose vision and lose sight of what you're becoming or you can say, no, in this place, I'm going to add something. In this place, I'm going to add something. You see, David, when he ran away from King Saul, he was afraid. He went down to the Philistine territory. Just think about it. How dumb is that? He killed Goliath, who was a Philistine, and then he runs to Philistine te- territory thinking they're going to help him. How stupid was that idea? And when... King Achish, he says, well, isn't this David? You know, all the men said, isn't this the king of Israel? By the way, have you noticed that? He wasn't king, but the enemy called him king because the enemy recognized his destiny better than Israel did. That's why the first people to to recognize who Jesus was were the demons. Because the enemy has a clearer sense of the call on your life than you do or often the people of God do. He knows the potential that's there. And that's why the enemy comes in sometimes to bring incredible discouragement to you. It's why he comes in to try and rob you of joy, to rob you of perseverance, to rob you of where you're going. Because you're in a process of becoming something. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being betrayed like Joseph was by your, by your brothers? You know, just sold. You know, actually they wanted to kill him. But, but, you know, Reuben stepped in and, and so he, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good old Reuben. <laughs> and at least Joseph was spared, but they made money out of it. Do you know what I've discovered as a church leader? I don't know one church leader who hasn't been through betrayal. If it hasn't happened yet, it's going to happen. Most Christians who, who, whose life is dedicated to the purpose of God, at some point, somebody will sell you out. And the issue is not that you got betrayed. The issue is what will you do to handle that? What will you add to your faith? Because maybe you need to add forgiveness. The power of forgiveness. Maybe you need to let go of a false expectation. Maybe you need to let go that God has to do everything according to your time. And that's what Job had. You know, he had this expectation, well, I did nothing wrong, you know, and I'm going to stand here and I'm going to wait until God does something, you know, because I'm innocent and uh, I've held my integrity. And Job had all these protestations. I know that one day I'm going to see God and I know my Redeemer lives and if he was here, I I would talk to him. And then God suddenly shows up and says, I've got a few questions for you. Where were you? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Where were you? 
Were you there when I did this? Were you there? I'm sorry. Did I forget you? It's like Joe comes to a brand new place of recognizing, I don't know much. I don't understand much. I'm really small. I'm really insignificant. Sorry, God. And God says, that's okay. I want you to pray for your friends. What? The people who spoke against me the whole time? The people who judged me? You want me to pray for them? Yeah, I do. And as soon as he prayed for his friends, God turned the captivity of Job and gave him double. You know, I was praying one time. I said, God, you gave him double of everything, but you didn't give him twice as many children. He lost six, and you gave him six more. I was praying about that one day. I said, how come everything doubled, but you didn't double his children? And the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear and said, because he never really lost them. He never really lost them. See, when things are with the Lord, they're not lost. That's really comforting, isn't it? When things are with God, when things are genuinely lost, God will double it. But if it's not lost, He doesn't need to. It's safe in His hands. What is it in your life do you need to add? You know, Joshua, when he went into the land of Canaan, God said, "You need to add courage." So three times God speaks to him, be strong and courageous. You need to add that to your, you've been a man of faith, you've been following Moses, you've been obedient, you've served, you've added serving to your life, you've added following to your life, you've added obedience to your life. Now you need to add courage. Man alive, can you imagine that? Going into Canaan, leading the people of God, and you're following Moses, by the way. That's intimidating, isn't it? That's just intimidating, having to follow someone like that. It's like, oh my goodness. You know, sometimes I get, I get invited to churches, but sometimes you get invited to big platforms, and it's a little intimidating. It's a little intimidating. I remember I was invited to Geneva. I had to speak at this conference. It was this quite a big conference in Geneva. People were gathering from all over the place. My, my friend set it up. He goes, oh yeah. He goes, it's going to be Bill Johnson and you. It's like somebody shoot me because no one's going to want to hear me after they've heard Bill Johnson. Do you know what I mean? It's like, that's how, that's how the enemy speaks in your ear. It's like, oh my goodness. Yeah, he's going to start the conference and you're going to finish it. Thanks. Thank you. And in that moment, I had to overcome intimidation. I had to overcome fear. I had to have courage. I had to say to myself, no, you carry something. You have a message. It's from the Lord. Don't live in comparison. I had to break that over my mind and just live with a courageous spirit. And it went well. Well, he liked it. See, whatever it is in your life right now that you need or that you struggle with, that's probably the thing you need to add. That's probably the thing you need to add. And every single one of us needs to be in this process of, of becoming because it's in the becoming that you, you actually move into who God has truly called you to be. And God always says who you are before you're ever there. You know, when he called the 12, he called them apostles. They were so far from apostolic expression when Jesus declared that over their lives. It's like, what are you talking about, Jesus? What are you talking about? Number one, they're all going to abandon you. 
Number two, one guy, top guy, is going to deny you three times. It's like, what are you talking about? But Jesus, when he looks at potential, when he looks at destiny, he declares it as though it is because God calls the things that are not as though they are. And then what we do is we move into and become who God has declared us to be. That's a journey, friends. So how should I add to my faith? Here's the third thing. I'm going to give you three things here to, to, to add to your faith. Number, the first thing you need to do is you need to create a habit. Do you know the only things that, that truly affect change in life is when you do them regularly. So, uh, you know, I noticed Bruce, was, Bruce and Sam were teasing me one time. I was preaching in Auckland and I literally ran out, of, I was preaching, I, I went for it so hard, I literally ran out of breath, I had to just say, just a minute, I was just, it was like, there was this old man on stage, and everyone thought I was going to have a heart attack, you know, it was just, it was one of those moments where, where I just couldn't keep up with myself, how ridiculous is that? And uh, I remember going back, and, and you know, somebody said to me, you need to watch yourself, you need to get fit. How many of you know I did not like hearing that? <laughs> That's code for you're fat and out of condition. Thank you. So you know what I did? I created a habit. So three times a week now, I actually go to the gym. Three times a week. Can you tell? Can you tell? I, well, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Three times a week. You know what? I looked at my schedule and I thought, the only way I can do this, the only way I can add this is if I get up early. So I'm up at 5.30 every morning. I'm in the gym by 6 o'clock, not every morning, three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I do a one-hour workout. You know what? Because I want to add health back to my life. I want to add fitness back to my life. Because I was that. In my 20s, I was super fit. Super fit. And, he, and even in my 30s, I was pretty good. In my 40s, I, I started becoming a swimming instructor, and I started training again. But now in my 60s, it's like, it's like clawing it back. You sort of let it go. You, because it's like that thing, you know, if you're not adding, what happens is you just become sedentary. You know, you just, you just work on it. You know what I love about Facebook is you control, you control back and see all the fat pictures of people. Like, they look good now. It's like, you troll back. I, I'm not going to name anyone in this room, but I could. I could. I've seen your Facebook page. It's like, oh, you were a little dumpy, weren't you? It's like, ooh. Bet you're going to take that picture down very soon. But there they are, proof. And, uh, and you know, but, but great that you've changed. Great that you're, you're improving. Great that you're moving forward. And the Christian life is like that. And so the first thing you've got to do is you've got to create a habit. If you're somebody who doesn't read your Bible, come on, create a habit. Create a devotional habit. I don't care if you do it in the morning, lunchtime, or the evening, but somehow create space where you make time for God. Just do that where you're going to be, like Jesus said in Matthew 6, Enter your closet, enter that secret space, enter that place where you, you can pour out your heart to God and you can talk to God and, and share with God all the things that you're joyful about and all the things that you're sad about and all the things that you're angry about and all the things that you want to change. Everybody has to have that space. 
And David made room for that space. You've got to create a habit. You know, sometimes when, when you're dealing with people who, who've been through very, very difficult times, sometimes they say to me, well, where should I start? And I say, well, tidy your room. <laughs> I say, what? I say, well, just tidy your room. You know what happens when you tidy your room? Your brain releases dopamine. And it makes you feel good. Any, any task you complete... Even a simple task that you complete, your body literally releases a hormone that tells you that was satisfying and that was good. You know what that does? That helps for the next thing that you need to do. And sometimes people get stuck in this right, like they don't want to get out of bed, they're in depression, they're, they're caught up in something and there's no movement whatsoever. Well, maybe the most courageous thing that you could do tomorrow is just get up early and tidy your room. Maybe the most courageous thing you could do is have a healthy meal. Maybe the most courageous thing you could do is go to the gym and have a workout. Whatever it is you need to add, begin to add it. But here's the thing. Don't do it as a one-off. Create a habit so that you begin to abound in it. You know what I love about Joshua? God says to him, you've got to be strong and courageous. You're going to lead these people. You've got to be strong and courageous. Don't let this book of the law depart from mouth. You've got to be strong and courageous. As I was with Moses, so I shall be with you. Wow, there's a promise. And then Joshua is, is fighting these battles. And actually, in the very first battle he fights, he actually doesn't have to do anything. The courage was the courage of not acting. The courage was the courage of, this one's God's battle, we're just going to march around the city. How many of you know that takes incredible courage? When you're a fighter, when you're a soldier, when you know how to handle a weapon, when you know how to fight an enemy, and God says, do nothing but march around and let, every, let your enemies see you. Oh my goodness. You mean they could pick us off from the top of those walls? Instead of picking them off, all they did was laugh at them. But they weren't laughing after a week. Because God wrought a great victory. And then Joshua is going along and then he makes that dumb agreement with the Gibeonites. Oh my goodness, how dumb is that? Like God says, don't make any agreement, don't make any covenant. They'll become a snare to you. And the Bible says they didn't inquire of the Lord he forgot to pray. He forgot to ask God's wisdom. And please remember, a covenant was generational in those days. In other words, it was permanent to every generation. We know that because when we read the book of 2 Samuel, David inquired, why is there a three-year famine in the land? And the answer came from the prophet because Saul tried to kill the Gibeonites. And so God, and so a curse was brought on the land because he hadn't honored the covenant. It was a generational covenant. In other words, it couldn't be broken once it was made. Oh my goodness. You knucklehead. Now if you were Joshua, how much self-condemnation, introspection, and self-condemnation would you be going through in that moment? And then the Gibeonites come and they say, help us. So he gets on his horse and, you know, they go into battle and they help them. And then this is the bit that gets me. After that incredible failure, Joshua is fighting this battle and there's not enough time to win. So he looks up and he says, Sun, stand still. Moon, don't go down. 
<coughs> I need a workout. <coughs> Can you believe it? And it's like, I just, I just imagine all the angels are looking down. It's like, did you hear that? Hey, God, the screw-up just spoke. <laughs> and it's almost like God says, yeah, I like his courage. I like, that is such an audacious request. Let's just change the universe for Joshua. Let's just reorder the entire solar system for the next 24 hours just for him. That's courage. He added to his faith and God honored it. Come on, what do you need to add? What do you need to add? You know, one of the things that, that I've added in the past year is a greater trust, not only in God, but in the people around me. Because I've built this church in London for 10 years, and now God is saying to me, start to let go. Just start to let go, because I want you here, and I want you here. And I said, well, if, God, I'm, if I'm here and here, I can't be here. Yeah, that's right. Trust the people around you and trust me. When I came to Christchurch, I tell you, that was, one of, that was a huge step of faith for me. I had to add trust. You know, I was in this country for five months. I went two months here, back for a month, and then here for another three months. That, that took incredible trust in God and in the team. And our church grew in that time. It grew in that time. And it's like, I'm rejoicing in that. And now it's given me confidence to add to my faith even more trust. Now I'm, I'm moving into my destiny, my calling. I, people used to say to me years ago, like I was in my 30s, and people were prophets, oh, you're an apostle, and you're going to go here, and you're going to do that. I think, yeah, right. Thank you, shelve that one. I'm still trying to build a church. It's like, you know, it takes 20 years to prepare a pastor. It takes about 35 to prepare an apostle. The key thing is this. God is declaring our destinies over us to show us where he wants us to go to. But we've got to take steps to add in order to get there. That's what we have to do. You know what I love is that in the Gospels, Jesus is not disappointed with his disciples when they fail. He just says, all right, now, this is what you've got to do now. That didn't work. Yeah, I know. That won't work. This kind comes out by prayer and fasting. You better add that to your life. Okay. What do you need to add? Here's, here's, here's the next thing. <clears throat> if you're going to create a habit, the next thing you do is hang out with people who will help you keep it. When I go to the gym, I go with a buddy, a friend of mine called Neil. Neil started working out when he was 14. He's one of these guys who is, well, he's just enormous. Like, like his muscles, like, like, I don't know, like my arms here are like his wrists. Like, like he's just so well built up top. He, he, he literally pushes double what I push in weights. And he's just a great encouragement to me. And it's like, you know, sometimes I look at what I do and it just looks so pathetic compared to what he does. But he's standing there going, he's standing there and he's, he's going, you're doing great. You're doing great. Come on, give me one more. Give me one more. And he's pushing me. 
Because every single one of us, if you're going to add to your faith, you seldom are able to do that alone. Seldom are you able to do that alone. If you're going to add to your faith, you need a buddy. You need an encouragement. You need somebody alongside you. When Jesus sent the disciples out, he sent them out two by two. Not one by one. Why? Because two are better than one. Because if, if one falls down, another can pick him up again. You know, that's from Ecclesiastes. We, we need to recognize that we need one another in this journey of faith. And if you're going to add to your life, come on, who's that significant person you will trust, you will listen to? They can speak into your life and they can encourage you in your process. Do you get that? Proverbs 13.20 says this, He who walks with wise men will be wise but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Do you know what? When I was 18, I was dumb. I was foolish. I was stupid. Why? Because I hung around with foolish people. And we thought that was fun. We thought doing stupid stuff was fun. It was ridiculous. I had a friend of mine called Ian. Ian was a very angry young man. Uh, his father basically died when he was 13, so he had no fathering whatsoever. He, he, he became quite criminal in his tendencies, and he became my friend. And every time I was with Ian, I got into fights, I got into trouble, and it all culminated one day when we were driving, and he said, wouldn't it be fun to drive on the pavement? Now, now just let me give you some context here. Um, this, wasn't, this was a part of London where it was a little bit quieter in the evening, so it wasn't like there were loads of pedestrians there or anything like that. It was 10 o'clock at night, but he just thought this would be fun to drive on the pavement. So he just literally turned the wheel, and suddenly, for one mile, we're driving on the pavement. It was in a little Morris... Uh, minor and and we're you know we're sort of missing lampposts and missing trees and various things but we're driving on the pavement for a mile and then at the end of the mile we come off the pavement back on the road and he said let's go round the roundabout the wrong way how insane is that now I, I was 18 he was 20 and I just I had a kind of revelation that night if I hang out with this guy much longer, I'm going to die. <laughs> the writing was on the wall. And it was like, it was a moment of revelation. And I thought, I'm not going to do this anymore. And so Ian would ring me up and I'd say, no, nah, I'm busy tonight. Sorry, Ian. Can't go out with you. About two months later, he was in a very serious car crash. He nearly died. Everyone in the car nearly died. He was in the hospital for six months. But I was okay. If you walk with the wise, you'll be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Come on, who are you hanging out with? Who, if you're hanging out with critical people, guess what? You become critical. If you're, adding, if you're hanging out with complaining people, guess what? You become a complainer. Who are you hanging with and what impact are they having on you, on your your outlook, your perspective. Come on. You've got to add to your faith. So you've got to create a habit, but you've got to get, create that habit alongside somebody who's going to encourage you in your process. Choose your friends wisely. Choose them wisely. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15.33, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Evil company corrupts good habits. 
You know, it's, it's, it's not easy to build a habit, but it's a lot easier to destroy one. It's a lot easier to let go. Come on, let's be careful. Here's the final thing about adding to your faith. Meditate on texts that speak to your situation. Meditate on texts that speak to your situation. I'm, I remember in the early days of, of being Christian in my 20s, you know, I used to have a terrible problem with jealousy. It, it was just really horrible. It was like, you know, something good would happen to somebody, and instead of rejoicing, I thought, oh, that's not fair. You know, oh, why didn't that happen to me? It was just jealousy. I couldn't enter into the joy of someone else's celebration and, and advancement and things that were happening. So I had this scripture from 1 Timothy 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. And I, le- I began to learn that scripture. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And I, I just began to say, God, help me to pursue being more like you. That's what godliness is. And help me to be content. And I realized the way you find contentment is you thank God for what you have, not for what you don't have. And I developed a spirit of thanksgiving. And instead of being jealous of other people, instead of being resentful for what I didn't have, instead of being upset that this didn't particularly work out, I used to say things like this, well, God, thank you that I've got my health. Thank you that actually there are other people right now who can't even get out of bed, but I can get out of bed. I can lift my hands. I can praise you. I can worship you. Thank you for my health. Thank you that I have a job. Thank you that I have an income. Thank you that I have a partner who loves me and is doing life with me. Thank you. And then with all the people I used to get jealous of, I intentionally blessed them and spoke blessing over them. Thank you, God, that you blessed that person today. Bless them even more. I began to respond in an opposite spirit. So instead of living with jealousy, I was now living with thanksgiving and contentment, and I was adding that to my faith. I was adding that to my faith. I was building it into my life and I was taking steps. And sometimes, you know, you'd feel jealousy rise and say, no, no, I'm not going to go there. Uh, Instead of jealousy now, I'm going to speak out thanksgiving. I'm going to speak out appreciation. I'm going to speak out blessing. I'm going to learn to be thankful and content with the things that God has given me. There was a season in our lives where Jackie and I were at the first church I led. We got into some really bad debt, not not primarily because of me, but I was the senior pastor, so you end up carrying the can. Buck stops here, as it were. And when we prayed about trying to resolve this issue, you know, God spoke to me and said, give me your five loaves and two fish, and I'll resolve it. And I said, well, what are my five loaves and two fish, God? I've... I'm just a pastor. I I don't have much. He said, you have a house. How many of you know sometimes God says things and we don't want to hear it? I said, yeah, I do have a house. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's your five loaves and two fish. So at the age of 38, 
with five kids. We sold our home. We gave all the equity money to the church as a seed. I think it was about 23,000 pounds. My father very kindly gave me five grand, gave my brother five grand. So that's just to help you start again. We found a house. Everything was wrong in this house. But at least we had a home to move to. We could put a deposit down. It was like I lost everything. I lost everything. But within two years, all the debt was paid in the church. My wife and I just struggled those years. That's when I was a swimming teacher. Didn't have great income. Didn't have much. Fast forward 20 years, 23 years, 25 years. My wife and I wanted to buy a house in one of the most expensive parts of London. In fact, the postcode where we are is the second most expensive postcode in the UK, right where we are in that area. It's ridiculous how much you have to pay for a house. And I went to a mortgage company and they said, well, first of all, you're too old for us to give you a mortgage. So the best we can do is give you a nine-year mortgage, which means you pay over double what everyone else pays. Okay. Any more news? Yeah, there's only one company in the UK that'll give you that. And secondly, you need to find 23,000 pounds cash in order to buy this house. And I went home and told my wife, you know, the good news. She said, well, God's been faithful. Let's just trust Him. We've moved 27 times in our lifetime. In the last 15 years, we've never lived in our own home because we moved so many times just in obedience to God, going places where He wanted us to go. I know what it means to pay a price. I know what it means to give up stuff. I do. I remember sitting down with my wife and said, I'm not going to write any letters. I'm not going to tell anybody. If this is going to be God, he has to do it. And so we sat down and we held hands and we just said, Lord, we would like 23,000 pounds cash, please. And we need it in the next three weeks. Well, that Sunday I went to church. Somebody gave me a brown envelope. If you're, if you're a leader here and you get a brown envelope, it's actually a stress-inducing moment because it's usually a complaint letter. Complaint letters normally come in brown envelopes. I just, I just feel like the Lord wants me to share with you. And I, so I got this brown envelope. It was a stress-inducing moment. I thought, oh no, somebody's unhappy with me. I got home, opened it up, thought, I'll wait till I get home. The service has been good. I don't want to spoil it by reading a letter. I'll wait till I get home, have lunch, and then prepare myself, read the letter, open it up, and there was a check for £5,000 in there. I went, I rang my advisor, my mortgage advisor. He said, that's great. You only need 18 now. So thanks for reminding me of that. I was just adding to my faith, God, you can do this. You can do this. So he said, don't you have any endowments or insurance policies or anything? I said, I don't know. And he said, what do you mean you don't know? I said, I've moved so many times. I've lost track of what I've done. So he said, well, look at your bank statement, see where money's going out. So I found this money going out every month to this company called Standard Life. So I rang them up. I 
said, hey, do I have an endowment policy with you? They said, no, you've got a life insurance policy. If you die, you get a lot of money. So I thought, well, I wonder if that's how God's going to bless my wife. You know, I'm going to die and he's going to take care of her. That thought actually went through my head. And they said, we've been trying to get a hold of you. And I said, yeah, I've moved a lot. They said, our records are two years out of date. So I had to go through all these security measures on the phone and everything. And eventually they sent me stuff and I had to sign it and send it off. And a week later, I got a phone call from the same company. And they said, oh, Mr. Brother, we've been trying to get a hold of you for two years. I said, yeah, I spoke to your colleague last week. We sorted it all out. He said, you did? Who was he? And I said his name and everything. I said, oh. I said, yeah, it's about my life insurance, isn't it? He said, no, no, no. This is about your endowment policy. I said, I have an endowment policy? He said, yeah, it matured two years ago. I said, how much is it worth? He said, 18,000 pounds. Here's the amazing thing. The prayer was already answered. I just didn't know it. The money was already there, ready for me. I just didn't know it. And when I added to my faith and I dared to ask God and I began to abound in my expectation, God is big enough to do this for me, even at my age. And I didn't know this, but my mortgage advisor, he, he said to me, Peter, I didn't tell you this at the time. In fact, he waited three months before he told me this. He said, when the money cleared, it cleared five minutes before the deadline when the, when the sellers were going to pull out. Five minutes before all the money went through, he said, and I was praying. He said, I didn't want to stress you, so I didn't tell you. I said, thank you so much. I so appreciate that. But God is good. And if you want to see change in your life, come on. All of us live by promise. All of us need a word from God. All of us need something to hang our faith on. And if you take a simple text of Scripture, something like godliness with contentment is great gain. Psalm 23 has been another one that's really helped me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. I shall lack nothing. Meditate on that. What does it mean for God to be your shepherd? Where are you lacking in your life? Because if you're allowing God to shepherd you, you won't lack anything. No good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. And if we're taking the promises of God into our spirit, the promise is about God's destiny and intention for your future, but He wants you to believe it now and to start to walk into that future by adding to your faith. And when you add excellence, moral excellence, you know, Desmond Doss was just a, a medic who joined the army in the Second World War. Everyone thought he was a coward. Everyone thought he was useless. But he said, you can put me on the front line with bullets flying, but I'm going to save life. I'm not going to take life. He won the Congressional Medal of Honor by saving 79 men. Nobody had ever done that in any war. He had 17 pieces of shrapnel in his body when they finally uh, got him into a hospital. 17 pieces. But if you watch that movie, he just says, just one more, Lord. Just one more. He added courage. He added perseverance. He added tenacity. He added all those things. He didn't receive the judgment and condemnation of other people. He trusted God. 
because he added to his faith. Come on, friends. Don't stay where you are because where you are is just a moment in time. Where you are is just a snapshot. And if you look back at some of your old snapshots, you laugh at your hairstyles, you laugh at your weight, you laugh at your clothes. Listen, I'm old enough to remember fashion is coming back now. I wish I'd kept my Rip Levi's. Oh, I could have made a fortune. When somebody wore Rip Levi's when I was, we took up an offering for them. Come on, it's a moment in time. You add to your faith and you're going to move into your destiny. Hey, if this message speaks to you right where you are, I want you to stand to your feet. If you know you've got to add to your faith, just stand right where you are. I'm going to pray for you. Put your hand on your heart. Father, I thank you for every single person in this room. I thank you that there is both history and destiny on each of these people. And in each of their histories, there's a record of your faithfulness, God. There's a record of you being there, things that you have done, things that you have spoken, things that they know about your goodness and about your faithfulness. But I thank you, God, there is also destiny where you want to take every person in this room. There is a new future. There is a new plan and purpose that is yet unfulfilled. And I want to speak against every lie of the enemy that says you did something wrong, that you blew it. I want to speak against the lies of the enemy that says that opportunity that you were seeking is no longer available to you. I thank you the Word of the Lord came a second time to Jonah. I thank you, God, that nothing is too dark, no situation is too hopeless. No person in, the, in, in, in heaven or hell, things present, things to come, can separate us from your love. I thank you your plan and purposes are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. I thank you, God, that you're with us and you never forsake us. And I begin to declare over life today that you will establish your purposes. You will establish your word. You will bring people into a wide place, into a blessed place, into a place of fulfillment. I thank you that though it tarry, it will come. It will come. It will come. And Father, I pray for friendships in this place. I pray for people who can speak encouragement to us where we're adding to our faith. Someone we can draw alongside and say, will you help me in this part of my journey? I pray for the Word of God to be alive and powerful in people's hearts. How can a young man cleanse his ways in Psalm 119? By taking heed to your Word. Your Word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. God, let your Word become precious once again to people in this room. I thank you, Spirit of God. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. 